G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. In this special episode, we salute our robot masters. We start off in Melbourne with Marita Chang, who's running two startups, one in robotics and one in computer vision. Then we follow it up with a deep dive into aquatic drones with the co-founders of Abyss Solutions. Robots on the ground, underwater, and a bit of AI in your smartphone. It's a good look at what happens next on This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is proudly sponsored by Braintree, the easy all-in-one payment solution for your app or website, and API Days, Australia's largest conference dedicated to the business and technology of APIs. When I was a panelist on The New Inventors, I had the pleasure of serving on a panel with my next guest, too, was, I think, at that time, young Australian of the year would go on to found Robo Girls. And I have a little bit of a story here because I judge a competition every year called Young ICT Explorers Australia. And I'm lucky enough to be the judge that gets all the weird projects, so the ones that have robots and crazy (laughs) stuff. And I find all of these nine and 10 and 11 year old girls who are making things with robots because someone from Robot Girls came out and taught them how to do it. Marita Chang is a dynamo and soon going to be an Australian institution because she is literally doing more to transform the landscape, I think, for women in engineering in this country than probably any other person. I know she's sitting here nodding, but she's probably also blushing a little bit because I'm, I could sing her praises all day long. Marita, thank you very much for being on This Week in Startups Australia. I love this studio. Thanks for coming here. Like, great setup. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so we're, we're recording this actually in your offices and downstairs you have an amazing telepresence robot that you're working on with your crew. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what that is? And we'll, we'll talk about Igo in a minute, but we'll, let's start with that robot. Yeah, sure. So um, I founded Tumar Robotics when I was in my final year at university and I wanted to make robots that were helpful to people. Um, So I started by doing some research into robotic arms, um, built a few prototypes, and then I realized they were just very expensive to produce and Mm. very expensive to sell. And that didn't really inspire me. I wanted to make a robot that was accessible to people that people could actually afford Mm -hmm. and uh, and, and enjoy en masse. And so I I thought telepresence robots, I'd always wanted to make one as a platform for my robot arms so that they could move around the house autonomously and do chores around the house autonomously. Mm. And so I thought, why don't I just make that now? And so I started started doing research on that, um, built built the first hack together proof of concept um, in, I started building that hack together concept uh, after a couple of months, um, built it in three weeks, and then started working on the alpha prototype, did that over four months or so, um, just finished our beta prototype, and, and now we're uh, into the pre-production phase um, and and looking forward to production. Or and it's called the Teleroo? It's called Teleroo, so it's a telepresence robot, hence mm-hmm. Teleroo, but then we're Australian here, so we got a we got a chuck in a kangaroo there somewhere. <laughs> so the the goal for this is to create an inexpensive robot that's used by uh, used by managers, employees. So if if there's an office that has um, or a company that has two offices in the same city, you could have robots in both offices so that employees could just easily go into a meeting 
um, at either location without needing to jump in their car mm-hmm. and, and drive over and, and waste all that petrol. Um, or else if you've got a manager or, or CEO who needs to commute for two hours each way to work, uh, makes much more sense to have a robot there representing that person so they don't have to go to work every day and decrease their quality of life. They could have a great quality of life while being in the office and hands-on every day. Do, uh, have you been studying how people interact with the robot? Do they treat it... Uh, so I'll tell you a little story. I was picking up some dry cleaning yesterday, okay, yeah. and it was toward the end of the day, and, the, and the, the lady who runs the shop was chuckling. I'm like, why are you chuckling? She says, that blinking light means the boss is watching me on the camera. Ah. All right. And and she was chuckling because we both knew it was sort of the joke that she she knew he was watching. Maybe he didn't know that yeah. she knew ah. that he was watching. Yeah, yeah. So you know, how is this going to make people comfortable or uncomfortable around these kinds of telepresence robots. I mean, we've noticed it in the office as well. Um, like the first few times that we, we get it going again after periods of not having the robot running, everyone turns and looks at the robot and just peers at it cautiously while it <laughs> while it makes rounds around the office. But right. after it's been fired up you know, five times during the day and you're doing your work and right. it, it's silently navigating around, you just don't care anymore, really. You're just you're just like, oh, it's just it's just natural. Of course, there's a robot roaming around. Of course, someone's controlling it somewhere. Of course, they want to see what we're doing. I've got other stuff to do. So it, you know, I, I, I yeah, I find people are generally really accepting to robots. Mm-hmm. I, I've um, people have said, you know, if I attended this event as a human being, no one would talk to me because I'm a robot. Everyone's everyone's like, hey, how's it going? Like. Um, hey, can I take a photo with you? And so it makes people yeah, the most popular guy in the room. <laughs> which, is, which is very good. All right, so we're clearly on the threshold of seeing a lot more robots being used in a lot more situations. Is a telepresence robot the leading edge of that? At least, I mean, we've had industrial robots for 50 years, but is that going to be, I guess, the leading edge of where the public starts to see robots on a day-to-day basis? So I I think that, I mean, the holy grail is autonomous robots mm. living amongst humans and doing our everyday chores mm-hmm. and our mundane tasks and looking after um, our, our basic needs so we don't need to do that ourselves. and uh, freeing Or up when our t- we can't do it for ourselves. Exactly. Freeing, and freeing up our minds so we can do higher level tasks, mm-hmm. uh, access higher levels of creativity. We're not there yet. I mean, we don't have we, we don't have the computing power f- mm. um, in, in an autonomous or individual format that can roam around our houses. Um, uh, not only that, we don't have... I mean, we're not used to the concept of having machines literally follow us around and, and do things for us. Um, and so I see, like, the bridge between where we are now and, and fully autonomous uh, robots as being telepresence robots because then at least there's these machines that are amongst our world that mm-hmm. are navigating around um, so that people can get used to the idea of seeing robots around us. People can get used to the idea of having these these devices reach out, grab something, and help us in, in day-to-day life. And, and I think after you create these devices, then you can you can also uh, create the code such that uh, these machines learn from their tasks that they're doing around the house, right. and then um, use that as machine learning for fully autonomous robots. Kind of like what Elon Musk is doing with Tesla, in that from the very first Teslas, he he had mapping and navigation. So so now in the fight for autonomous autonomous uh, or self-driving cars, um, you know, he's he's got that edge of all that data that's already been clicked. Well, it's it's funny that you mention that because I had my first drive in a Tesla this morning. So 
Uh, Melbourne Matt Allen picked me up in his Tesla, which he's been trying to get me to get a drive in since he bought it a year and a half ago. And we're on the freeway from the airport into the city, and we're having this deep, deep conversation. And somewhere in the middle of it, he's like, you know I'm not driving. And I'm like, what? And of course he wasn't. His hands weren't on the wheel. The car was driving itself. The car was fully autonomous. And only at one point during the drive, I think until we were probably in the middle of Melbourne City streets, did he actually take it off of autonomous mode. And of course, it's learning from all of this. It's sharing what it's learning. So you're actually getting all of that information heading in. So in some ways, I wonder if we haven't already sort of walked over that boundary into autonomous enough Mm. robots and what you're doing is simply another version of the autonomous enough robot yeah um i mean definitely i think the thing that's so exciting about the self-driving car industry is that the players involved already have a lot of money Um, (laughs) yes they do there's mercedes there's audi there's volvo there's there's google there's there's uh gm there's ford i mean these the car industry that they are famous like in the maker space for driving down the cost of production for um for like goods um you know if it's in if it's in a car then it's cheap yeah. Um, and I mean, if, if they did that to parts, then you know, it's really exciting what they can do for, for yeah, autonomous navigation. You're already seeing that happening. Lighter sensors, the cost of lighter sensors are coming down. Yeah. I mean, it, in the Google self-driving car, that they're seventy thousand dollars. But uh, at the recent consumer electronics show, solid state lighter sensors were announced for two hundred and fifty US dollars by the time that they're at mass production, which is a huge cost reduction. So that's two two orders of magnitude. It's, I mean, $250 versus $70,000 is... It's nearly two orders of magnitude, so it's huge. It's huge. And, and, I mean, $250, put that in a robot, uh, that's something that people in in a normal office building could afford Mm. in a robot that's able to self-navigate, that's able to um, be spatially aware and and perhaps manipulate a robot arm to, to do useful things. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Mark Pesci, and I just have a few words about Twister Sponsors Braintree, code for easy online payments. Developers around the world have used Braintree's V.0 SDK as a simple way to accept PayPal and credit cards and debit cards and whatever's next. With a single, scalable integration, you get robust fraud protection on over 130 currencies around the world, which is making your global expansion a snap. Using Braintree is as easy as integrating a few lines of code, but don't take their word for it. Try out the sandbox and see for yourself at braintreepayments.com twista. <laughs> And we're back with Marita Chang. So, Marita, you've just come back from the 2016 Consumer Electronics Show where you were showing off your own app called iPoly. So tell us about iPoly. iPoly uh, is an artificial intelligent application startup. So where we've got this artificial intelligence uh, algorithm that is able to detect objects um, in real time, so we advertise it on the iPhone as being three objects per second. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, on computers, it's even quicker than that. Um, so our first application is for blind people. All they have to do is use their phone, um, get it 
uh, move it across objects and right. instantly the app can tell you that that's a um, iPhone or that's an Apple MacBook charger or that's a chair or that's a carpet or that's trousers. Can you, I, I'm just wondering, I know that in Australia our, our bills are different sizes for different, but in America they're all the same size and I know this is a horrible problem for blind people in America because they don't know if, the, if you're paying the clerk with a $10 bill or with a $100 bill. So does iPoly work for that as well? Uh, not on the app just yet, right. but we have um, we have all that technology on, on computers, r- r- yeah, r- running downstairs mm-hmm. in, in our lab. Um, so we've actually very excitingly we've just um, we launched our app uh, two days before the Consumer Electronics Show onto the App Store. Yeah, uh, we we're very excited about that. We had a great response, um, and we we also had a lot of. Uh, queries from our users about various things and so we're very proud to announce that um, just a few days ago we 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 actually released our uh, version 1.1 to the app store so we fixed a few of the bugs uh, that that people are having uh, with regards to uh, the the voice we've updated the colors we've made the app even more accurate just in a few just in a few weeks so yeah, it's a very exciting space right now as well. We're working on the Android version of our application. Mm. So iPoly currently identifies 800 of the most common household objects. Okay. And is all of that happening inside the device? It's not communicating with the net to help it sort of resolve an object it doesn't understand? It's all on the iPhone. That's okay. what makes it so innovative. Uh, for our MVP of this application, it was over... Um, a cloud server, mm-hmm. uh, which meant that it took longer mm-hmm. because you needed to uh, take a photo or something, upload it to the server, wait for the server to recognize mm-hmm. it, and then respond. Well, Google Goggles is similar to that, and right? So, in order to recognize an object, it takes six to ten seconds, mm-hmm. oh, six, six to twenty seconds mm-hmm. for that whole process, depending on your internet connection. Uh, whereas with iPoly, three objects a second, right. it, it just vastly improves the quality of life of a blind person because they're able to get through their day much quicker mm-hmm. um, know what's around them much quicker and so yeah we're very we're very proud um, I mean this, this this podcast is about startups so I guess I could share a little bit about that whole story yeah um, we were at Singularity University uh, out at NASA Ames mm-hmm. on scholarships from from Google mm-hmm. and so through that you uh, learn about exponential technologies in order to improve the lives of a billion people within the next 10 years mm-hmm. and as a vehicle to doing that you're encouraged to start a company and so I was at Google that day, actually, um, at a meeting with Google.org. And um, because of this homework assignment we had, I, I, I said, you know, we have this homework assignment. Um, the person that I was meeting happened to have a PhD in machine learning. <laughs> so I asked her, you know, what were some problems in this space? And she said that she had a blind friend who still didn't know how to get around and recognize objects. Mm-hmm. And so we thought back to our lectures. We thought back to the lecture that we had from IBM Watson about uh, convolutional neural networks being mm-hmm. used to detect images mm-hmm. and we thought why don't we put that on a phone and make this accessible to people right. and so we went back to NASA and we had a look at all the different uh, artificial intelligence neural networks out there and and uh, found one that we thought worked best and we created our MVP over the next day or so, um, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's fast. We only had we only had a week and a half. Like we only had two weeks in total mm. for the whole thing, um, and 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 that and then it was demo day basically. Right. So we, we created it really quickly. Um, we we I called. And this the, was when it was on the news because it made the news in like August, right? Was yeah, this? yeah. We were we were in TechCrunch in August. Yeah, I remember. Um, so basically, I, I called all the blind organizations mm-hmm. around San Francisco. 
and I said, what do you think of this? Like, what, what are your thoughts? And everyone, blind people are very articulate. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I was, I was and very they're impressed also, their, they're also tend to be quite technically sophisticated and understand because they get frustrated by technology. They can tell you exactly what's been done wrong. Exactly. So, um, I mean, after we got all that feedback, we, we built that first version. Mm. We showed it to all of our peers and, and all the mentors and investors, and they were, they were really impressed. Um, but then I organized for us to visit all the blind organizations that I'd spoken to on the phone in order to give them a live demo. Um, so we did that over two day, over a day, basically, just going all over San Francisco, Berkeley, mm-hmm. um, Mountain View. Um, and what I found interesting was I went and met them and they'd tell me, and I'd say, what are your problems you know, in, in your day-to-day life? And they'll tell me about all their problems and um, in, in terms of like vision and navigation and then, and they were quite skeptical about our product, but then when they tried it, they were blown away. Okay, they, That's a good reaction. They were, they were blown away. They said, this is amazing. Uh, mm. We were blown away by their response. We didn't think we'd get that kind of response. Mm. It's, so re- it's really rewarding to get that kind of response from an end user. Um, and so based on their response, we created a second prototype, like a second MVP. Mm-hmm. We, made a, um, we made a short film about it, a short little uh, video, and then we, we uh, we managed to get some press from that, including TechCrunch, which which blew us away completely. Yeah. Um, and so from all of that, from our positive responses, our usability testing, I think that was the key thing. We just went out and usability tested, usability tested, usability tested, yeah. because I know how important that is. You want, you, yeah. want um, you know, it could work once when you're creating the lab, but like, does it work reliably? Does it work when, when you know, so-and-so with so-and-so, with this Wi-Fi connection or in that setting, does it work for them? Does it work reliably for them? Is there a future for a class of wearables for people who have uh, sight difficulties that integrates this the, the iPoly technology into it? So when we spoke to blind people, they said that um, they don't want another device. I mean, there are a lot of eyewear devices out there in the Google Glass. Right. Um, but overwhelmingly when you speak to blind people they say there are so many devices and there are so many you so know, just use the smartphone because i already have it and they said yeah i don't want another device and okay. so they like that it was on the smartphone as an inventor or as a creator like you know what it's like you ask people what they want and they tell you one thing but then you, you, you have don't want to believe it you have to make it and show them and they yeah. have to use it before they actually get converted yes okay so uh, is that company a non-profit or a for-profit or how are you how are you working that uh, so it was set up um, while we were at Singularity University um, as a non-profit non-stock but um, the way that Singularity works is that some companies become fully fledged companies and others don't mm-hmm. and so it makes sense to set it up as a temporary entity while while people are still figuring out what they want to do mm-hmm. but um, iPoly is a for-profit company um, uh, in Delaware um, so after Singularity University, which ended in August, we, we were named cl- class favorites and judges favorites, and uh, which was which was great. And uh, Ray Kurzweil, the futurist, he's the, one of the founders of Singularity University, and he's also the creator of OCR. Mm-hmm. Um, and creator Kurzweil, I know the Kurzweil reader. It's very famous. He's very very famous. Yes. And so having that name and that branding behind us is also fantastic. So well, after I mean, because he he's the first person to solve this problem. The Kurzweil reader for he, the blind was he, incredible. Yeah. Yeah, he's he created it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he has a lot of respect in the blind community, oh. and rightly so. Uh, so after we left Singularity, we thought, um, you know, we thought let's let's continue with this. We've just got such a great response. 
Um, and uh, we decided to take on a, a third co-founder um, who had deep technical knowledge and expertise, uh, Simon Edwardson, uh, who, who our co-founder, um, uh, Alberto Rizzoli, had, had known from his days of going to hackerspaces in, in London. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it just goes to show that all, all these things, hackerspaces and, and all these camps and different educational robo-girls you know it all makes a difference so we've got this mvp people love it but we thought we want to do something better and so we created ipoly in the current form where it can recognize objects within three objects within a second um and uh you know it's also got a really great response uh 800 objects is what it currently recognizes we also had the capacity to expand to recognizing five Five thousand objects mm-hmm. in the coming months, um, and so yeah, that's a project that we'll 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 think about embarking on. Um, but we're also really excited about future applications for for iPoly. So, so currently, iPoly is free. It's free on the App Store uh, for for the eight hundred words and and also for the colors. So I invite all of you who have an iPhone five S or above to download it. And we'll we'll link to it from the from the Tumblr so people will be able to just click on it and grab it. Yeah. So right now we're we're as founders we're discussing our next steps and our next projects because we we see the iPoly Vision app as kind of like the marketing or the PR to, to get people to know about us, um, to get a sense of, of, of where our technology is at. Mm. And, um, and, and, and then we, we hope to yeah, do, a, do another product that people pay for so that we can you know, fund this iPoly Vision app that we have and also to fund um, growing a large company that, that, that uses artificial intelligence in, in real ways to help real people. Marita, thank you very much for being on This Week in Startups Australia. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. Hi, this is Mark Pesci with a few words about API Days Australia. API Days is a world-class conference bringing business leaders, entrepreneurs, and technologists together to collaborate around building the business models of the 21st century, business models built from APIs. API Days is unique because it covers both the why and the how of digital business. One track focuses on business strategies. The other track focuses on technologies and implementations. APIs are the future for every business that wants to innovate, grow, and compete in the connected century. And API Days is the event where you learn how. It's happening right now at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Center. So find out more at au.apidays.io slash twista. The narrative being peddled by a lot of experts in economics goes something like this. Robots are coming to take all of our jobs and we're going to need to work out a income that's a guaranteed annual income because about 50% of the working population will be automated out of work over the next generation. Now, there's not a lot to disagree with in the specifics of that statement, but there is another and far more profound trend that's happening in robotics because what we're doing is we're teaching robots to do things that are too dangerous to leave to a human being. For example, in Australia, there are thousands of kilometers of canals and culverts and waterways and tunnels, all of them needing to be inspected on a regular basis for safety. But inspecting these basic elements in our built environment is actually quite unsafe 
for a person to perform. That problem has proven to be an opportunity for Nasser Hassan and Masood Naqshbandi, who are two of the four co-founders of Abyss Solutions. Welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks uh, for having us here, so, Mark. So, what kinds of robots are you guys making? Aquatic robots. Aquatic robots. So these are robots that swim around and do what? So basically, these are autonomous drones that are capable of navigating a site on their own completely mm -hmm. and collecting data on the over the site. And this data is georeferenced, and uh, they have the ability to not only navigate but also analyze the data and provide insights on what's going on. So this is um, you can almost think of it as a, a robotic submarine that you drop into a waterway and it's got a camera and whatever other sensors. Does it use LiDAR or anything like that? Or is it just a visual? Uh, at the moment, we're just using uh, visual um, cameras. Right. And, and, it, and it goes through and just sort of scans the entire surface underneath the water and, and, and then does analysis so that the, the analysis is actually happening in the robot or is it happening somewhere else? Well, at the moment, the analysis is happening offline right? because um, it involves uh, pretty computationally um, intensive uh, machine learning mm -hmm. algorithms. However, um, with the... Um, so you do the data, data gathering, you upload it, and then do the analysis. Yes, exactly. But uh, eventually, once we have enough data, mm. uh, we would be able to have machine learning models that can be generalized. Um, to different situations, and and at th at that point, um, there there there's a possibility that the analysis could be done in real time on the robot. Mm. So the robot can be going down and saying, "Oh, look at this, or look at this, look at this." Okay. Mm. Now we've identified what you do. What is the market for this, both in Australia and around the world? Well, the market in Australia at the moment, there are many different verticals where this technology could be applied towards. Mm -hmm. uh, so basically anything that's underwater, which needs inspection, our technology, our robots could be used for that. So our focus currently is waterways and dams because those are the ones uh, that are critical infrastructure that needs regular inspections. Yeah, if you have a problem with the dam, you have a big problem. Yeah, you have, and as uh, we found out in Brazil uh, at the end of last year when the PHP dam burst and cost the lives of 11 people mm. and cost them up to $7 billion in damages. Mm -hmm. uh, also because we have a client partner already working with us on this so we have sydney water signed up as a trial partner uh we're right, sydney water so it's the water company for sydney how many how much waterway do they have that you need to inspect they have 450 kilometers of waterways that they wow. that they own but uh, 135 kilometers of that is uh, regularly inspected waterways okay. 445 kilometers of waterways and uh that they have but the targetable uh, market over there is 131 kilometers right so so is that because they don't need to inspect the other 300 kilometers or they don't want to or it's too expensive or it's too hard or so there are different kinds of waterways um, the kind of waterways that they're interested in having Oslo um, inspect at the moment are open channel waterways right um, the other ones are storm channels and most of them are have CCTV cameras in there oh okay yeah and so um, they seem to be um, looking at the solution we're going to be providing to them on right. these open water open channel waterways um, and you know maybe they 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 might consider using those um, in, in the in the remaining waterways as well okay so we could, we've got just got the city of Sydney and presumably all of the other 
capital cities mm. in Australia have similar types of water infrastructure. Mm. Yeah, that's right. So uh, Melbourne Water is another big uh, water utility company that right. operates off Melbourne and all of uh, Victoria. You have each state has their big main authority, which mm. controls majority of the water infrastructure. And they're pretty much our ideal target market, uh, our ideal customers at the moment, because we can approach them and we can do a lot of inspection on a lot of different assets. Uh, in saying that, water utility companies and waterways are just one of the s- niche segments that we're focused on. Uh, besides that, the bigger markets are ship hull inspections, mm-hmm. uh, fisheries, under oil and gas industry, pipeline inspections. These are all different industries that once we've uh, cracked down our, uh, our hardware, cracked down our development, uh, and we've kind of covered the whole of uh, waterway industry. these are industry. all huge sectors, right? Yeah, yeah they're all massive. They're multi-billion dollar sectors. And they're all sectors where you basically have to send a person down or I guess there's also really, really high-end submarines like that cost millions of dollars. Mm. Now, and, and this is something we should mention. So your solution, the physical hardware, doesn't cost millions of dollars to be able to do this. No, it does not. How much does it cost? Um, the kit itself is shipped in from San Francisco and costs about fifteen hundred US dollars. Right. Um, but then there's a couple of add-ons that we have, which include which include some of our controllers and algorithms and stuff, and those uh, can go up to. Well, we're still working out the pricing yet. Okay, and, and, and that's now. Where did this idea come from? Did did you? folks have a background in robotics and went, oh my God, this is a great application? So uh, basically, um, um, I, Nasser, uh, am the uh, um, the basic essential robotics guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did my PhD in marine robotics. So I hail from the prestigious Australian Center for Field Robotics, which is one of the premium facilities around the world. Right. And one of the only facilities that actually uh, deals with multiple applications uh, including aerial drones mm-hmm. um, for agriculture to uh, you know other monitoring tasks and surveillance tasks. Um, to so rather than just an arm that's assembling stuff, yeah. we're talking about we're talking uh, so field robotics. Yeah. So essentially, Australian Centre for Field Robotics deals with um, aerial uh, drones, uh, ground vehicles, mm-hmm. underwater vehicles. Um, you know, humanoid robots. They work on social robotics. Mm-hmm. So they basically um, are the center that I did my PhD in, and mm-hmm. I worked there for a while as well, and I'm working at the moment as well. Um, but uh, so, so that's where I, I breed this philosophy. And essentially, what they did was they they attracted clients rather than through mostly through uh, you know government funding. They attracted clients through industrial funding as well. And a lot of their major clients were like BAE Systems, and you mm-hmm. know, um, you know, they were the Rio Tinto and mining. Mm. And stuff like that. So I saw a lot of common applications over there. Like the the fundamental framework that was addressing a lot of these field robotic problems was mm. was similar. Mm-hmm. And essentially, what what I did when I was doing my PhD was looking at the seabed. And now we're not looking downwards uh, at the seabed. <laughs> we're looking sideways at damn walls, right? Or waterways. You're listening to this week in Straps Australia. We'll be right back. <laughs> Hi, this is Mark Pesci, and I want to invite you to come by our Tumblr and have a look at it. We have photos of the guests. We have links to the podcasts. We have documents that our guests have given us that talk about the stuff that they're doing. It's a really rich documentation of everything that we do here at This Week in Startups Australia, and it's actually really helpful for listeners to the show. So drop by. It's at twistartupsaus.com. 
tumblr.com. You'll find it all there. Once again, that URL is twistartupsaus.tumblr.com. And we're back with Nasir and Masood of Abyss Solutions. One of the interesting things about Abyss Solutions is that you've actually been through a number of incubators, and we haven't ever really talked about incubators on This Week in Startups Australia, which is almost something between a glaring oversight and just, okay, maybe now it's finally time. So you started off in the Sydney University Incubate program because you're from Sydney University. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, it's kind of funny because we are all academics mm. and we don't know anything about business. Okay. Or, or at well, least didn't. Or at least didn't. Um, and and I, I would still like to consider that we're still, you know, I mean, we're, we're newbies because there's there's an ocean of knowledge out there that we, that we lack. The incubators are the ones that provide you with the business strategies for your ideas. Right. Ideas are out there by a dime a dozen. And, 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 and you know, but, but it, the execution is what matters and how you do it. Mm -hmm. That's what incubators teach you. And that's what Sydney University Incubate taught us. And we, they basically, um, they basically, you know, told us how to do market research, how to identify good market areas. And right. we're really grateful for that because they pulled us away from a venture uh, which was our initial one uh, on hot water systems that wasn't really, um, you know, worth the effort. Mm -hmm. And they, they steered us into something that we initially started with, but because uh, we chased our first client um, right. and followed the client into the market, you know, that wasn't the right strategy. They kind of told us to pull back, resist <laughs> uh, immediate initial temp temptations and to actually get an overall view of where we should be going. And, and really, that's something they helped us with. So this is really interesting. I don't know that most people actually go into thinking of an incubator. They think of the incubators, you have to have the perfect idea and then you go into the incubator and it gets better. But what you're actually saying is that the incubator had helped you take your bad idea <laughs> with a really good foundation behind yeah. it and focus on making the foundation the basis for a good idea as opposed to letting the bad idea be drive what the foundation was. Yes, exactly. That's what Incubate did for us. Yeah, and just to add on that, I think when, with the incubators, what they look for is they look for the people, they look for the teams, right. are they capable of delivering? Because in a startup scene, as you would know, uh, you change every week. Your yes. ideas change every week. You pivot from time to time. So it's always a constantly, uh, you know, it's not a static uh, business environment. It's dynamic, it's fluid. Uh, new ideas come in, new ideas go. So what they look for is they look for people who can stay the course, they can execute, and who actually have the expertise to deliver what they promise. Uh, so that's what they look for, uh, instead of if you have a shiny product or you don't have a shiny product. Now, the qualities that you're pointing up, those are the qualities that when you got them through Incubate, then made you attractive to Morudi because mm. Morudi, what did they get? Two hundred applications in the current yeah. round, about one hundred and seventy-eight or one hundred and eighty, and they took ten. Yeah, and they took ten. So right. that's from all of Australia. And you folks made it, made the cut. Yes. So something that um, something that you have as a team, plus something that you learned at Incubate, were the right combinations to make you very attractive. Morudi, do you know sort of how that worked? What was that? What was that application process like for you? Because I, I assume it was very different from. Do you want to sort of compare and contrast the application process for Incubate versus mm. Morudi? Well, the application process for Morudi was certainly um, a lot more um, 
involved mm. should i say that we had a series of interviews and we had a series of short listings and and, yeah, and they're also looking for startups that are much further along yeah than incubate right? yeah exactly um so basically um there was it was a ra- it was rather more involved as, as as in contrast to incubate um however um uh incubate basically picked the team up Right, and I, I really, really like to, uh, I like to, you know, acknowledge that because they, they kind of saw through every, every, you know, uh, they saw through everything, and, mm. and they went right to the core, mm-hmm. and that, 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 I think, I think, you know, that was, that was really important to get us going. Yeah. I don't know if we would have been as appealing to. Um, to uh, Moridi, yeah. unless we didn't go through Incubate. Now, what are you expecting? Because you're just at the beginning of the Moridi experience right now. What What are your expectations for that experience? Honestly speaking, uh, we're uh, <laughs> configure, We're developing our expectations as we go. <laughs> so it's agile. It's exactly. It's pretty agile. Um, but most recently, after our first deep dive yesterday, which was so revealing, um, Mick Lubiskas, mm. um, Mr. Focus really, himself. He really, really, and and Annie Parker, like Mm. they really impressed me yesterday. They gave me two humongous revelations. One, how do I, what is actually the step-by-step process to get to the $10 billion company that is the goal of this whole uh, this whole mission or venture, um, and number two, why do we need investors? <laughs> right, because I always thought we can bootstrap, but but so so having having that that step by step process in mind, and the fact that we're probably going to need investors at some point, mm-hmm. uh, it, you know, it, it is 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 helping us develop our expectations. So we still don't know what we expect out of in- Muridi right at the end, but but it's somewhere along the lines of a good plan mm-hmm. that of course will be variable but you know some kind of plan that that we can see end to end you know filling in the blanks from right now to the 10 billion dollar company all right so let's talk about that so is that 10 billion dollar company yours in five years time and if so what have you done with these underwater robots to make you worth 10 billion dollars well, we're pretty much at the at the very early stage at the moment. So we've got a client, uh, mm. we've got a robot, mm. and we're servicing waterways for them. Mm-hmm. What we've done at the moment is we've uh, basically uh, put together a pipeline for um, uh, surveying uh, the area for data acquisition, and then offline processing uh, of that you know data and uh, a subsequent analysis on that. And uh, that's that's what we have for our first client at the moment. And um, we want to use that to basically get, you know, so this is just a trial on, on one of their assets. And we want to use this trial to be able to acquire the entire asset, um, you know, uh, in, in, in the very near future. So this is the beta test. This is the beta test, yeah. So at the moment, what, what our goal is to look for client partners to mm-hmm. help us develop this technology because there's a lot of stuff, different, you know, there are different requirements for different clients. We want to develop the product by talking to different clients and doing trials for them so that we can see where what really the generic application looks like for mm-hmm. dams and waterways. Mm-hmm. And then we will, you know, step forward and maybe take it to the next level. I can see that the Moru D process is going to help you really refine because I think you have that, but I think there's a lot of steps in there and it sounds like what you started learning yesterday were the nature of those yes. different steps. All right. If you had one bit of advice that you were going to give someone who was thinking about going into an incubator, what would both of you say to that person? 
Uh, I would say is the, to have a really open mind uh, because you'll be challenged pretty much on a daily basis. Your ideas and your directions. Have an open mind, uh, but also be critical of the advice you get mm-hmm. uh, because that will really help you figure out what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong. Uh, secondly, uh, enjoy the experience because you'll be there with you know uh, six, seven, eight, ten other companies all in your same position. Have that camaraderie with them and uh, speak your problems with them, sort things out. Uh, that really helps you go through the tough times as well. Um, so I uh, realized this myself, but then eventually realized that someone else also quoted this <laughs> later on. But basically, if you wait for a perfect idea, you're too late. <laughs> and on that note, Nasir, thank you very much for coming on this week in Startups Australia. It was a pleasure. You're welcome. Thank you very much, and thanks for having us here. So a few weeks ago, I flew down to Melbourne. And my friend Melvin Matt Allen volunteered to pick me up. And he's been begging me to do this for a while now. And the reason why is because last year he got one of the very first Teslas that was sold in Australia. And I was excited to get picked up in the Tesla. So got picked up in the Tesla. We leave the airport. We're driving down the city link into the city. We're having this very animated conversation about startups and funding models, just as we always do. And at some point he turns to me and says, Mark, you realize that I'm not driving. And it was this moment when I realized his hands were not on the wheel. The display on the Tesla was sort of showing how it was avoiding the other traffic that was going on. And I was in a self-driving car. Now, make no mistake, a self-driving car is a robot. It doesn't have arms. It just has wheels. But it is smart. It's making decisions. And it's ferrying us. And his six-year-old son, who was playing happily in the back seat, at full speed down a freeway in Melbourne. And I had two reactions. One was, oh, my God, this is the future. And the second was, wow, the future is just kind of dull. Not in a bad way, but it was just really easy to accept being driven around. Because, you know, we've been driven around since we were little kids sitting in the backseat of the car. So part of the robot revolution has already happened. It's not going to be a big deal. Yes, the robots are going to take our jobs and we're going to find new things to do with the robots. Big thanks to series sponsors Braintree and API Days Australia because their support makes this podcast possible. Thanks to Felix Wormuth and AnalogCabin.net for his hard work making a podcast that is a joy to listen to. Thanks to the fine folks at Rode who gifted Twister with a whole bunch of very neat audio gear, including the Rode NT and the Rode IXY. We're going to be using those quite a bit in our remote recordings. Thanks to Marita Cheng. Nasir Asand and Masood Nakshbandi for making time to come on to the show. We'll be back in a fortnight with our latest and greatest news special. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia.